I'm going to have a stand this morning. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer. And I know that most of us, uh, we're, we're well aware of the news. And uh, yesterday there was a, an unprovoked attack on Israel. And, uh, you know, it's painful, you know. I, it, it doesn't matter. Even if people don't agree with Israel, that's not the point. But when people are living in security and all of a sudden there's this kind of unmitigated aggr- aggression and, uh, you know, 2,500 missiles fired. Crazy, you know, over 1,000 people killed and people taken into, you know, captured, and many of them civilians. I can't even imagine that happening in our city. Wouldn't that be terrifying? How many say that? You can't even imagine that. It's pretty shocking, isn't it? And so let's pray for that nation. You know, I'm praying for peace. I'm praying for restoration. I'm praying that God will use this for good, even though it's evil. God will use it for good. Amen? So, Father, we pray today. We pray for the nation of Israel right now. You know, I know the Ukraine's been fighting a war for a long time. There's, there's lots going on in our world today. And we know that you truly are the hope of the world. And we pray for those that are walking through uh, danger, conflict, war, captivity, uh, these things almost seem foreign to us, and yet they're happening even right now. We're just, we're just nine hours away by plane to be right in the middle of it. And so, Father, we pray for people that are suffering, people that are dealing with anxiety, fear, uh, uncertainty. We commit them to your grace, Lord. We pray that out of evil you will triumph. You will bring good out of evil, Lord. I, I pray that you will trump evil and that you will do something special in this season in the life of the nation of Israel, in the life of the nation of the Ukraine, and even in our own nation, O God, that we, Lord, would be a people that would begin to turn to you as a nation, across our land, people turning to you, Father. And I pray today, even in our service, people that are listening in, Father, that many of us who struggle with uh, an attitude of, of, of frustration and maybe self-pity or... Uh, we're upset, blaming, we're complaining, whatever it is. I pray today that something profound would happen. There would be a change inside of us. There'd be a change in our thinking. There would be a change in our attitude. The well of ingratitude would be, uh, the well of gratitude actually would be reopened in our soul. There would be a springing up uh, of joy in our lives that we've not known before because I believe that gratitude and joy and hope do not spring up simply from the context of an external circumstance, but it's a change of heart and mind. And I pray today that you would bring about that change. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. I'm going to have you turn in your Bibles uh, to, the, to the Psalms, Psalm, Psalm 96. And... I've entitled this message, How to Experience Life to Its Fullest. Anybody here say, you know, Jesus said, I I came to give you life and life more abundantly, life to its fullest. But I think a lot of Christians aren't experiencing this. And I'm going to talk today about how you and I can begin to experience life to its fullest. Anybody up, anybody would sign up for, Lord, I want to experience life to its maximum. I want to experience life abundantly. I want to experience life to its fullest. And I think one of the most striking, shocking, and even enlightening texts of of the Bible is, and I think it it causes me pause every time I read it, is found in the book of Romans chapter 1 and verse 21 when it says, for although they knew God, it's a very profound statement, they knew God, it says here, 
but they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their, fo- their, their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Something happened, it was a progression. And you know, when, when we think of these haunting words, they neither glorified nor thanked him. The sin of ingratitude is one of the most deadly traps to our souls. It's a trap. You know, it's designed to destroy us. It's designed to make us miserable. It's designed to put us at odds with Almighty God. God is for us, but when you and I, you know, are filled with ingratitude, it, it, it creates a barrier. In Ernest Howe's book, Spiritual Values in Shakespeare, he shares how the great Shakespearean play, King Lear, is really the tragedy of ingratitude. He says, where most Shakespeare's heroes are admirable and likable people, King Lear's character is different. In the other tragedies, like Hamlet and Macbeth and Othello, these people are good, but they in the end, degenerate. But in this one, King Lear is already a rough character, but something happens to him through suffering that in the end is redeemable. It's it's a very powerful message. He begins as a bad-tempered, entitled older king who has three daughters, and he decides to divide his kingdom by distributing it to these daughters and their husbands and husbands-to-be. But they first much tell him which one loves him most. The first two daughters resort to flattery even though they have no affection for their father because he's, he's not a nice man, basically. The third daughter, Gordella, she's made of different stuff. She's disgusted by her sister's insincerity and she says simply to her father, she says that she loves him according to the duty of a daughter, nothing more and nothing less. Well, he's annoyed by that response and he tells her to mend her tongue. And she responds by telling him that her love is richer than just her words. Angry, King Lear disinherits her, divides his kingdom between the other two daughters and their spouses, and Cordella Cordella ends up marrying the king of France, and she moves away. But as soon as the other two daughters gain power, they drop their pretense, and we see their true colors. And they actually show how much they despise their father, and they relegate him to nothing, basically. Shakespeare writes, he gives his daughters the... the estate and the daughters then give him the gate. You know, House says, quickly Lear learns that the winter wind is not as cold as the heart of a thankless child. Ouch. Isn't that sad? We're living in a generation where a lot of young people are angry at their parents. Can I just say there are no perfect parents? And I will say this, that you know what, one of the lessons that I learned from an imperfect parent as a child I eventually had to come to forgive my father, value what he gave me, and forgive him for what he was incapable of doing. And try to learn from his broken past, you know, and not hold it against him. You know, one of the things that frees us is forgiveness. But a lot of people choose not to forgive. They choose to blame and be angry. And then we stay in that prison house of bitterness and anger. Well, finally, uh, the old king's strength has snapped by the relentless cruelty of his two daughters and their husbands. And then one night during a terrible storm, he breaks away and flees, brokenhearted, tormented, penniless, unrecognized, dishonored, wandering through his own demise. And eventually his youngest, the young daughter, Cordella, now queen of France, returns with an army 
to right the wrongs, and she brings a doctor to treat the unbalanced mind of her father. The doctor succeeds, but the army's defeated. Gordella and her father, King Lear, are captured. Gordella is executed. King Lear dies of a broken heart. And this is how Ernest Howe concludes. He says this, but with a startling touch of drama at the last, Lear, in the very moment of death, is seized by a wayward fancy that Gordella, Gordelia it lives, and he dies in the midst of tragedy with a burst of joy upon his face. You know, Shakespeare's trying to teach us a lesson of the, the, the power of ingratitude to bring about destruction. It's a monstrous sin that leads down a downward path. It affects the soul like a deadly growing cancer, spreading, affecting not only the patient, but the lives of all the people around them. How often we become angry and embittered towards God for the difficulties of life. And yet back in that Shakespearean play, so true to life, we discover that the good are growing better through suffering and all the bad are getting is worse through success. Pretty interesting lesson, isn't it? In King Lear, Shakespeare turns the admiration upon those characters who, who trial and tribulation develop inner integrity, humility of mind, and compassion for the poor. You see, the great issue of life is the condition of our heart. That's the great issue. Is it filled with gratitude and thanksgiving, or has it grown hard and callous so that we resist God's word and his workings in his life? Is our heart tender or tough? We can determine this by our attitude towards God. You know, this Psalm 96 was written in a very interesting moment in the life of King David. He finally becomes the king of a united nation, a people gathered together. And the first act that David does is he chooses Jerusalem as his capital. And then he, he's, he brings the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. And the Ark of the Covenant really represents the presence of God. And what David is really longing for is to make sure that God is at the center of his administration and nation. You know, we can look at this, you know, most of us, we need to make a decision. Is, is God really at the center of our homes? Is God really at the center of my soul? Starts there, doesn't it? It was certainly in David's life, and we can see the good things that came as a result of that in his nation. You know, this song is actually recorded in two places in Scripture. The first is 1 Chronicles 16, 23 to 33, but here it's also, the same words are found in Psalm 96. It's repeated. I think there's a reason for that. You know, this is the moment of great joy for David and the people of God. How many remember reading the story of David bringing the ark in, and finally, when he finally does it right, there's such great joy. They're dancing. There's celebration. There's, it's just a, a moment of tremendous joy in the life. And the idea is that when God comes, there is great joy. Isn't that true? When God shows up on the scene, joy is the evident response uh, that we have. You know, we celebrate today. Uh, through this weekend, this time called Thanksgiving. It's a day to express our gratitude and appreciation for all that God has done for us during this past year. But can I say for the true child of God, every day is Thanksgiving. Every day is a celebration. That's the attitude that we should have. And we're gonna see that as we read through the psalm. So how should we respond when God comes? And so in Psalm 96, we're gonna discover three responses to God, which I believe allows us to live in the fullness of life. And the first one is simply giving God the glory that is due to him. Giving God glory, you know, glorifying God, appreciating 
what God has truly done for us. And you know, when we have this, this correct attitude towards who God is, it shifts our, us from frustration, despair, doubt, and discouragement to hope, delight, and joyful expectation. How many would like to be rid of all the negative emotions in your soul and have positive emotions replacing those, you know? Anybody up for this? You know, anybody want to make that transfer today? You say, you know, I, I don't want to live in, in despair. I don't want to live in doubt. I don't want to live frustrated or angry all the time. I want to be a happy camper. You know, I want to be a hallelujah. You know, I want to be a person that's got a song in my heart, that there's joy in my life, you know, and it doesn't, it's not conditioned on what's happening to me. How many want to rise above your emotional state and also your uh, uh, circumstances in life and have your soul rise above those kinds of things. That's what we're talking about today. And it's possible, you know, when we bring glory to God. You know, that word for uh, glory is this word kabod, which, which literally means in the Hebrew, heavy. You know, God is heavy. What do you mean God's heavy? Well, God's a person of substance. He's not a lightweight that's what he's, you know, God, when we talk about glory, we're talking about someone of real substance here. He's of great reputation. He's worthy of our worship, praise, and adoration. You know, David begins by encouraging us to sing. You know, you know I, I think as Christians, we should be the best singers. Why is that, Pastor? Do you know, actually, when you sing, if you keep doing it, even though you're not a great singer, you'll still get better. You know, I, I actually decided this week to look up, is there any physical benefit to singing? And I was shocked. There is. Do you know there's a physical benefit to singing? It actually uh, releases things out of your lungs so that you actually build up immunity against colds and flus. I'm just pointing, you know. You know, see, you, you know why I know a lot about singing? My mother... You know, she had a real rough life. And I know she, she was a country western singer. They, you know, they always sing the blues kind of thing. But anyways, <clears throat> we had a lot of music in our house. And she was singing all the time. And, you know, one of the things she would do is I'd say a word, she'd start a song. You know, it's like, Mom, I want to talk to you. And she'd start singing another song, you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but she was a singer. And here we see in Psalm 96, it says, Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. You know, some of you, I know you're a little shy when you come to church. You need to sing. You need to sing. You go, yeah, but I don't feel like singing. Sing anyways. Because if you're gonna let your emotions define who you are, you're gonna be a person without a song. And the enemy wants you not to have a song. So we need to have a song in our hearts. We need to learn how to sing. You know, Derek Kidner says this about this new song. The new song is not simply a piece newly composed, though it, it includes that, but it's a response that will match the freshness of his mercies, which are new every morning. You know, Tremper Longman, who, who wrote a book on God as a warrior, because when you read the Old Testament, he's an Old Testament biblical scholar, he says, God's a warrior. And this idea of a new song, you're gonna love this. The new song to God is a phrase that normally occurs in warfare context and implies that it's a shout of victory. Woo! You know, I mean, 
how many think that's amazing? A new song is a hymn of victory after God has made all things new by his defeat of the forces of evil. Now, let's, let's, let's think about the celebratory moment for a second here, okay? How many, you know, where evil has been overcome, don't you think there's a little bit of celebration? Now, has anybody looked back in history? You know when they found out that the war in Europe had come to an end? When it was declared in the newspapers? Do you know people were dancing in the streets? Woo! They were all excited. Why were they? They were singing and jumping and rejoicing and tears in their eyes because, you know, servicemen were going to come home. There was no more loss of life. Conflict came to an end. Evil had been defeated. There was joy in that song. That's the picture that we're getting from Psalm 96. Sing a new song. Anybody ever get excited once in a while? Go, woohoo, you know? You ever get that way? Anybody ever get like that? Okay, now, now we're catching on. There's a, a sense of excitement, a sense of joy. That's what he's, he's, he's saying. You know, th think about every day we could be happy campers. I love the book of Lamentations, not so much the whole book, but there's, there's some good, it's, it's pretty brutal at times because it's talking about, you know, the fall of Jerusalem and how bad it was, right? It's, it's a lament, right? But in the middle of the tears, listen to this verse. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are what? New every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You ever get up in the morning and go, hey God, what new mercy am I going to discover today? How many know if you got up with that thinking, you're, you're looking, okay God, what is it we're doing today? What's the new mercy you're going to show me today? How many think that's a different way of coming at the day? You're looking for the goodness of God in the day. Some people go, oh, it's Monday. <laughs> Come on now. Isn't that true? You know, some people, you don't even want to be around in the mornings. You know, They don't know the secret. There are mercies out there. There's new mercies today, right? Ah. Uh, I like what Charles Spurgeon says. He says, do not let a day go by without reminding each other of God's grace. Otherwise, we'll get worn down with the cares of this life. I like that. We need to declare God's glory to the nations. We need to verbalize this, not just through our lifestyle, but uh, it's a warning. Oh, I'm, 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 something got messed up here. Okay, that's fine. I see what I'm doing. I, I, I said I see what I'm doing, but I can't find that. <laughs> you know the problem with uh, doing PowerPoint? I'll just tell it to you right now. You're, you're following the PowerPoint, and all of a sudden, the, the slides are not in the right order somehow. <laughs> or there's a slide missing. And I'm not blaming the person that's helping me. I'm just saying, sometimes I do these things to myself. So. But let's, you know, let's, let me go back here and say this. So what's the psalmist saying? When we reflect upon the Lord and his goodness... It should bring joy and a song to our heart, right? Think about that. You know, N.T. Wright, I was listening to him sum, summarize this little audio on Psalm 96. He says, this is a warning to the nations regarding idolatry, uh, this text, because he's going to go on and talk about that. 
He said the distinction is that Yahweh is the creator, idols are human made. Do you know what idolatry really is? That you and I worship what we, what we create. We're creating that which we're worshiping. But God is the creator. You can't even make him up. He's beyond your comprehension and mine. God is beyond us, really. His thoughts are far, so far above our thoughts. His ways are so beyond our ways. Isn't that kind of a neat thought to think that God is, is actually way beyond us? I like that. It means that I don't have all the answers. I don't have a clue sometimes what's going on. That's okay with me because my eyes are not fixed on myself solving all the problems. I'm looking upwards and saying, God, this is out of my league. I mean, you know, I need your help here. How many of you ever felt that way? Things come in your life, you go, this is way beyond my pay grade, God. That's why I'm on my knees talking to you about it. You know, he says, don't look for glory or strength elsewhere other than from God. You know, a lot of times we're looking to human beings and we're disappointed in people. I'm going, yeah, you're going to be disappointed. Human beings are going to let us down. That's true. To, to praise is to speak highly of. It says, sing to the Lord, praise his name. Do we speak highly of God? What do you have to say about God? Not only are we to sing, but we're to praise God. And how many know when we are complaining, we're not praising? Do you know that's the opposite? Does anybody figure that out? When we complain about the conditions of our lives, we're actually complaining about God's care and his love for us. Oh, now I'm getting into meddling. See, this sermon was going so good, Pastor. Why'd you do this, you know? You know, too many of us are tempted to complain about our state in life. The Apostle Paul reminds us this has negative consequences within our soul. It says, do everything without complaining or murmuring or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. You know, he's, he's giving us, Paul is showing us the state of complaining or an argumentative nature is a sign of immaturity. That's a very, you know, if you think you're mature, if you're walking around complaining and murmuring and arguing, that's a sign of immaturity. Worse, it's a sign of ingratitude. Notice the expression that when we stop complaining and arguing, we can become blameless and pure. So if I'm complaining and murmuring, I'm not blameless and I'm not pure. That's what it says. What was the problem with the children of Israel? They're journeying through the wilderness. The wilderness is actually a picture of life. God was with them. Hey, even their clothes didn't wear out. God was making sure they were taken care of. Ah, there were some trials there, tests, right? Their response wasn't very good. Anybody know that? Everybody read the book of Numbers? They're not doing good there. They're complaining a lot. When we're constantly complaining about our situation in life, we're actually complaining about God's, you know, taking care of us. Well, you're not fair, God. Look at the way you're treating me, you know? Notice God's response to Israel as a result of their constant complaining. Does anybody want to read this? Okay, here it comes. Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord, and when he heard them, what happened? His anger was aroused. In other words, he's saying, you guys don't think that I love you. You guys don't think, you know, you're not trusting me. Then fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. Doesn't sound good to me. 
Paul picks up on this. He says, do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as an example as, and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the age has come. So if you think you're standing be firm, be careful that you don't fall. It's interesting that when we complain, it impacts our soul in a negative manner. Notice the psalmist describes what happens. I remembered you, O God, and I groaned, I mused, and my spirit grew faint. King James translates that word groan there as complained. In other words, when we're complaining, what we're doing is weakening our soul. We're giving in and we're giving up. So what should we do when life's difficult? Okay, let's, let's, let's be, how many know that life gets tough? Anybody here figured that out? I'm gonna tell you flat out, life is hard. It's not easy. You know, I preached a sermon here this summer. I said, the day of death is better than the day of birth. What? How does that make sense, pastor? It's real simple. When you're dead, you don't have to deal with all the things that life throws your way. You're at the end of the journey. When you're born, you're just starting it. There's a lot of things you're going to face that are going to be difficult. So if you think it gets easier as you get older, it doesn't. It just gets different challenges. So how do we handle life when it's hard? And it's going to get hard at times. What should our attitude be? You know, how do we handle these burdens? You know, one of the dangers is we just slide into self-pity, you know. It's all about me. Woe is me, you know. People are complaining about, you know, I was born in Canada, terrible plight, you know. I had these parents, they made sure I ate every day, you know. I, I'm serious. We got kids out here complaining, you know, and, and, and I know there's some that went through some hard things. I get all of that. But let's take a look at what Paul says to us as believers. So how do you handle when life is handing you lemons? Somebody said, just make lemonade. Yeah, that's true. You know, it says... Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. Now, he doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances, but he said you need to give thanks regardless of what's happening in your life. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. While Paul was in prison in Rome, he's writing a letter. <laughs> he starts out, I always give thanks to God for you guys. Right? Then he says in chapter four, this is, I think, my favorite chapter in the Bible, Philippians four. Rejoice in the Lord. Where's Paul? In jail. I'll say it again. How many know you gotta say it this many times? It's because we have a hard time doing this, right? He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'm gonna say it again, rejoice. I guarantee you, if you start practicing this every day, I'm just gonna be a thanker. I'm just gonna be a praiser. I'm just gonna be a worshiper. I'm gonna just start rejoicing. It doesn't matter what happens, I'm gonna just start thanking God at all times. Something's gonna to happen to your soul. It's gonna happen inside of you. Something's gonna pop. You know, and the peace, of, he goes on and says, so how do you handle this? Do not be anxious about anything. You know, sometimes we do get moments of anxiety. It happens to all of us. You know, Pastor, you ever get anxious? Once in a while but I know this verse. What does it tell me to do? It says, pray and petition God. How? With thanksgiving. You know, focus on the thanksgiving part. I'm talking to God, but I'm talking with full adoration and expression of gratitude, and I'm going, hey, 
This may be a big deal to me. It's no big deal to you, God. This may be a challenge to me, but it's not a challenge to you, right? This may be really hard and difficult. It may even seem humanly impossible to humanity, but it's not beyond your capability. Present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So, you know, where does Paul come up with these ideas anyways? Well, the Holy Spirit. Yeah, but where? In the Old Testament. You know, listen to what David writes. I will extol the Lord when? At all times. His praise will only be on my lips when life is going good. Is that what it says? It says, his praise will always be on my lips. You know, can you thank God with tears in your eyes? Sure you can. Can you thank God when life is not working the way you want it to? Of course you can. Do you know what happens then? I'm gonna preach this sermon. I, I've preached it years ago, but it's such a good sermon. It's called Managing Your Emotions, and that's something some of us need to learn, how to manage our emotions. Anybody believe that's important? Do you know God manages his emotions? Do you know God sometimes gets so ticked off that if he wanted to, he could have wiped our whole planet to nothing? But he says, you know, I'm not gonna act on how I felt. I'm gonna act on who I am. Aren't you glad that God doesn't just act on his emotions? He acts out of his character, you know? You ever have somebody do you wrong? And you, my emotions at this moment are, I'm not happy with this. Anybody ever been unhappy with some situation or some person? Anybody here ever been unhappy with some situation or some person? The rest of you are not telling the truth. <laughs> Come on now, it's true. We've all been there, right? So what are you gonna do about it? You can pout, you can punch, you can do all kinds of crazy stuff. Or you can decide, okay, what does God tell me to do? Step one, forgive them. Step two, pray for them. Step three, do good to them. How many know it's really difficult to be nice to somebody and do really nice things for them when they've been really nasty to you? How many go, that's not normal? If you start to do that, people go, what's wrong with you? No, they won't. You know what'll happen? They'll feel bad about what they just did, usually. People back up. They're not used to that behavior. They're used to getting retaliation coming at them. All of a sudden, you're being nice to them. They start, you know, I, I've actually, you should try this. Has anybody ever tried this? It's really amazing what starts happening. The person starts de-escalating real fast. Like, I mean, right now. And they start backing up, and they start backing down, and they start becoming really nice really fast. A lot of them. That's the way they respond. They don't know how to handle it because it's so rare when that happens. Do you know the Bible actually works? It's real practical. It actually, you know, the problem we have is we know these verses in our head, but we don't do them. And then we go, boy, it's just, I'm trying to teach you how to live life to its fullest. You gotta do what it says. My soul will boast in the Lord and let the afflicted hear and rejoice. You know, how many know we never bless people by our unbelief and misery? How many know that's true? You know, if I have a faithless moment, don't utter it. It's not gonna bring any blessing to anybody else. You know, but you know, when you and I are full of faith and encouragement, that brings encouragement to other people. It says, glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Um, as a matter of fact, Paul says this 
in the context of life, he said, you know, I've learned to be content in any and every situation. How many think that's amazing? Contentment. How many go, some people, they, they can't pay enough to find contentment. They're looking for contentment. Paul said, it doesn't matter the outward circumstances. I could have a lot or a little. It doesn't matter. I'm content. How do you get to that stage, Paul? The secret? Here it comes. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. I can do it because Jesus is in me. He gives me the strength to be able to not allow the outward external world define who I am and how I'm going to ultimately feel, period. I'm not going to let my circumstances define my emotions. I'm going to make a choice to worship God anyways. And I find that when I start worshiping God, my emotions change. And all of a sudden, there's a joy in my heart, and I go, you know what? This is minor. God's bigger than this stuff, right? Get your eyes on God. We're focused on the problems. That's the problem, you know? So he said he was, you know, content in every situation. We need to communicate God's grace to others. We're not only to praise God, we're to proclaim his salvation, his glory, his mighty deeds to others. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. You know, you can walk around and go, you know, how many know this is really great when you, can, when you talk like this? You know, God is so good to me. You won't believe what he did for me today. Well, what did he do? Tell him what he did, you know. Man, I feel great this morning. Isn't God good? You know, some of you are getting out of bed and going, I feel miserable. My body aches. You know, I've got all kinds of aches and pains and problems. Praise him anyways. You say, what do you, what do you got to praise him for, Pastor hey, I'm his, I'm his daughter, I'm his son. Hey, what mercies are we gonna see this morning, Lord? I'm looking for them. You know, open the door. Hey, listen to those little birds singing at minus 40. I, I, I'm, hey, I, was, I got into my vehicle the other day. It was so cold. This was last winter. And I had all these birds sitting on my head, my, the hedge that we have there, and they're all singing away at minus 40. I went, wow, I'm impressed, guys. You know, I, that, that's the mercy of God. They could sing at minus 40. I was just like, you know, so I started researching how can birds handle minus 40, you know? I'm, I'm intrigued. They were praising God. Okay, we'll keep moving on here. I'm, I'm having my own hallelujah time, like, like David said. Goes on here, he says, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all people. Charles Spurgeon said, the gospel is the clearest revelation of himself. Salvation outshines creation and providence. Therefore, let our praises overflow in that direction. In other words, if you can't think of anything to thank God for, thank God that you're saved. Thank God for his mercy in bringing you into his kingdom. Thank God that you have eternal life. Thank God that you're gonna spend eternity with him. Isn't that amazing? There's always something to thank God for. That's what we're getting at here. We are to give God the credit, you know. When you ascribe things to God, as the psalmist is telling us to do, it means we're giving God the credit where credit is due. It says, ascribe to the Lord, O families of the nation. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord glory, do his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. And when we speak of bringing an offering, immediately we think of money, which... That's part of it, but that's not all of it. That's only a part of it, you know. Listen to what Hebrews says. 
Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips that confess his names. So we're confessing to God. We're expressing it verbally before Almighty God. You know, the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So listen to yourself. You know, you go, I have no idea what I sound like. Tape yourself for a whole day and go, man, am I ever a complainer and a whiner? Smarten up, you know? You know, find out what you're really saying to people. You know, have, have your family say to you, you know, if I start complaining, let me know. You're complaining. <laughs> you know, I gotta stop that behavior. It's not good. I'm a whiner and a complainer. Do you know, I was whining and complaining one time on vacation. How many already get the sense of irony here? Sitting on a beach on a sunny day in Van North Vancouver. And God finally said, stop whining. You say, what do you mean he said that? Well, he didn't talk audibly, obviously, but I'm sitting here looking around. It's sunny. It's beautiful. Sailboats are all around me. I, I love the ocean. I'm looking at this beautiful scene, and I'm saying to myself, what are you whining about? And then I'm reading Psalm 16, and Psalm 16 has some beautiful passages. It says, the boundary lines have fallen to you in pleasant places. You have a delightful inheritance. God's saying, look, buddy, You've got so much going for you, you should just be quiet and be thankful. And then I had this thought come into my mind. Holy Spirit gives me these thoughts like, you know, if you need something, I can give it to you. And if you don't have it, you don't need it. Next thought. If I really need something, it's mine because I have a father who cares about me. So stop whining. That ended that conversation in a hurry. That was the end of it. I just started going, wow, God, thank you for you know, giving me a little wake-up call today. You know, I've never, how many can see? That was over 30 years ago. I never forgot that conversation. Don't whine. Don't complain. I get it, you know. Do not forget to do good and to share with others for what such sacrifices God is pleased. Look at the second response that brings fullness of life. Give the gifts, do him. You know, we can verbally express our praise to God, but God says you gotta go beyond that. How many know the greatest gift you give to God is the gift of yourself? Now, when you think of yourself, what you're thinking, your body, you're thinking of your energy, you're thinking of your time, you're thinking of your talents, which all were given to you by God. So God says, give yourself to me. And, you know, I, I love this. Charles Spurgeon says, when assembling for public worship, we should make a point of bringing with us a contribution to his cause according to that ancient word. None of you shall appear before me empty. Listen to this in Exodus. He says, celebrate the feast of unleavened bread for seven days. Eat bread made without yeast as I commanded you to do. Do this at the appointed time in the month of Abid for in that month you came out of Egypt. No one is to appear before me, what? Empty handed. You know what I think's happened in the Christian church today? A lot of people are thinking that God is the genie in the bottle. We come to God and go, I need this, I need this, I need this, I need this, you know? God, I want this, I want this, I want this. God, I'm telling you what to do. I'm rubbing the bottle, these are my three wishes. Everybody catch on? That's not how you come to God. It's not coming and demanding. No, you know, I think there's a place that says, give us this day our daily bread, but why don't we come to God and say, God, here's my life. I'm coming to you with my hands full. I'm giving you everything I've got. You know, I don't understand in my mind how we could say to God, I'm not gonna give you anything. <laughs> He's given us everything. Think about it for a minute. 
You know, when people walk around going, well, I'm not going to give my money to God, you know. I'm going, what? That's a weird way of thinking. Your money? Can I just shock you guys? You don't own a thing. You don't even own your own body. What? God gave you that body. God gave you those brains. God gave you that job. God gave you time. God gave you health. God gave you energy. You would be nothing apart from God. It's true. Do you know what God's going to do when you get to heaven? What did you do with what all I gave you? Well, I consumed it on myself. Well, that's going to go over real good. About that time, you're going to look into his eyes and he's going, I gave you everything. What did you give me? Nothing. How do you think that's going to fly? I don't think that's going to go well, personally. I think what the point of the whole story is this, that you and I start realizing that we're here for him. As a matter of fact, when I read the Bible carefully, I recognize that you were created for his pleasure, for his honor, for his glory. That's, you know, a lot of Christians go, I'm not doing anything bad, Pastor. Are you doing anything good? (laughs) You know, we keep thinking sin as, you know, I'm not doing bad things. I'm going, but what good things are you doing? Because, you know, there are sins called the sins of omission. To know to do good and not to do it, that's a sin. Whatever is not a faith, that's sin. You know, when I have it in my power to do good to other people and I don't, that's a sin. When I withhold from God, I'm sinning against God. Do we see it? You know, we can come, oh God, I'm so thankful and thanksgiving, all the good blessings you gave me. I'm saying, listen, thanksgiving, you want to live life to its fullest? This is how you do it. You give God everything you are and you serve him with every fiber of your being and you're filled with gratitude towards God and at the end of the day, you're going, wow, am I ever experiencing life to its ultimate? Because I've discovered one thing, 42 years as a pastor, the unhappy people are self-focused and the happy people are focused upward and outward. It's the way it works. Don't you think I have not examined human behavior after all these years? I see it. The happiest people aren't thinking about themselves. They're constantly thinking about ways to bring glory to God and help to others. And the most miserable campers that I talk to are the ones that are totally self-absorbed. And you know, I was there. So I know what I'm talking about. It's been a long journey from self-pity to laying down my life over all these years and finally growing up and learning it's not about me. Never has been about me. It's about you, Lord. How powerful is that? You know what real worship is? I like what Evan Underhill says. She said, worship is the total adoring response of man to the one eternal God self-revealed in time. Warren Worsby says, we do not worship God for what we get out of it, but because he's worthy of it. Tozer says, whoever seeks God as a means towards a desired end will not find God, because God will not be used. Wow, that's strong. So not only is worship expressed with our lips, ascribing to the Lord glory to his name, it's also expressed in the way we give our resources that he has blessed us with. We see that in how we live, which is an act of worship. Do you know worship isn't just what you're doing here on Sunday morning. The worship is the totality of your life and how you live it. That's worship. 
Did you know that? Read Romans 12, 1 and 2. It says it right there so powerfully. It says, you know, we come into his, he says, uh, I beg of you, brothers and sisters, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of worship. You gotta give your whole self to God. You think throwing 20 bucks in an offering plate is worship? And then walking away and doing your own thing? You know, I will even say this, you know, people who are tithing, and I, I believe in tithing, I've tithed for years, the tithing's important. But I'll say this, if you think that, you know, that you're giving to God because you're tithing, God goes, no, no, no. That's just a part of your life. That's an expression of it, but it's the totality of your life. You know, as a matter of fact, Peter goes on, it, you know, holiness is part of the expression of it. What is holiness? You're set apart for God's purpose. Did you know that's what holiness means? You're holy, you're set apart. The Holy Bible is God's word. This is set apart for God. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. This is Peter says, Prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed as obedient children. Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. In other words, don't fulfill selfish desires, he says, but just as he who called you is holy, he's, you know, he's, he's separate, he's different then. He's above us in many ways. God is beyond us. So be holy in all you do. In other words, live a, a separated life. And let me close with this. Uh, last point, because I want to, I'm just going to mention it, is the gladness that it brings. It will bring gladness. You know, that's the result when we truly worship God. Uh, you know, if you keep reading the psalm, you'll see what happens. He starts talking about judgment. And I'm going to close with this thought. You know, it's really God bringing, he will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. And I like what N.T. Wright says, Judgment means putting things right. God is coming back to sort out all the injustice. Isn't that amazing? See, we look at judgment, you know, God's coming to judge the world, you know, like, I'm going, no, it's good. It's a good thing. Come on back, Jesus. Look how messed up we are down here. Could you please mess, sort out the mess for us? Anybody ever felt like, you know, I was treated poorly. I, this was unjust. This person oppressed this person. This person violated this person. This person did this. God says, I'm going to sort it all out. Come on, Jesus. Come on back. Come on back, Jesus. We need you on this planet. We're messed up. Isn't that true? Come on, let's be realistic. You know, we're busy bickering, fighting, arguing, complaining, blaming. Isn't that the human condition? I see it. Isn't it amazing that you and I don't have to be like that if we will allow God to have first priority in us? And I'm going to have a stand as we close. You know, I know this is a little radical Thanksgiving prayer, but I think what I'm trying to say to you, how many of you would say, I want to live life to its fullest? I got my hand up. Let's, let's live this way. What do we do then, Pastor? We need to learn how to give thanks to God. Regardless of our circumstance and of our emotional state of well-being. Don't let your emotions define you. I'm not saying deny them. They're real. Your emotions are real. We all have moments, discouragement, maybe doubt, 
little anxiety thrown in here and there. All these things come to us, right? You know, but if I was to sit down here and give you, you know, which I do, I have a doctorate degree, so I'm going to write out a prescription for you right now. Every day when you wake up, here's your prescription. Find the new mercy in that day. Number two, I want you to start out just worshiping God and praising Him and thanking Him and adoring Him and delighting in Him and earnestly pursuing Him in the morning. That's step one. Step two, then you start looking for the mercies. How many say this is already living a little differently, Pastor? Step three, keeping it in my mind that I'm on assignment today. Do you know you're all on assignment every day? God goes, I'm looking for instruments to use in my world. People that are gonna bring the presence of the living God into situations. They're gonna bring hope and encouragement. They're gonna pray for people. They're gonna give to people. They're gonna be generous. They're gonna be forgiving. They're gonna be prayerful. They're gonna be loving. I'm assigning you these guys. Look for your assignments today. There's people that I want you to talk to, pray for, care about, think about. You know, we say, well, yeah, but pastor, I'm stuck in my home, I can't get out. Hey, listen, you can pray. You can pray, you know. I'd notice one thing, as I'm getting older, my prayer life is going up. How many know that's true? When you start slowing down, your prayer life should be going up. I can see things around, I can see people. You know, we were talking, the men in the room, before we came to pray, and I, I was so beautiful. We were all admitting, because we're a little older, when we were younger, we did a lot of stupid stuff. You know, when you're young, you do dumb things sometimes. Just being honest. And when you get a little older, you look back and you go, that was dumb. At the time, you didn't think it was dumb. Maybe you thought it was fun or kooky or crazy or whatever. Some things you did were just stupid. And they were dumb. And you actually hurt some people. As you get a little older, you go back, God, thank God you forgave me for that stuff. And then you see young people doing that. Old people, don't get mad at young people. Just pray for them. Come on now. You were there. You were there. Let's be honest. All the old people, were you not there? Come on now. So here's your assignment, older people. Stop complaining about the younger people. Start praying for them. Come alongside of them and say, hey, you know what? I did that same stupid thing. Let me give you five pointers to move beyond that because you seem to be stuck there. Don't put them down, just help them move on, right? Are we catching on? How many say, I wanna live life to its fullest? I'm a child of God, I wanna experience it to its fullest. I wanna pray for you today. I wanna pray for you today, amen? Let's bring glory to God. Let's bring glory to God. Let's give God great thanks. Let's learn how to sing with all of our hearts, you know? Let's learn how to worship Him with our entire being. Let's be filled with gratitude. Father, we thank you this morning. We are so thankful today. We are so amazed at your goodness. We have been so blessed in so many ways, our heads are spinning. You said you've given us every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Lord, you've rescued us from the kingdom of darkness. You've brought us into the kingdom of your son. Lord, we're gonna spend eternity with you. We thank you that you're a forgiving God. We thank you this morning that even though sometimes life is challenging and difficult and hard, Lord, we don't have to let our emotions define our life and our circumstances, but in everything we're gonna give you thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. We thank you you've given us amazing weapons, thanksgiving, praise, 
prayer, forgiveness. These are powerful tools in life so that we can live life to its fullest. We're not going to let people define our lives by their behavior. We're going to define the life that we're living by the behavior that you're helping us have in response to the behavior of others. We thank you for that, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you leave this morning.